Okay, the first reading is from Acts 2. It's been from Acts 2 the past three weeks. It'll be from Acts 2 for the foreseeable future. Because what we're going to do is we're going to talk about all the things in Acts 2 and what that means for the Christian church, what we should look like. And we've been focusing on uh, the past two weeks and then this week on that first part. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, We're going to talk just briefly next week, just one sermon about sacraments, what the sacraments are. That'll be the part uh, to, to the breaking of bread in verse 42. Um, when you get down to verse 46 and it says they broke bread in their homes, I don't think that's talking about the sacrament. I think that's talking about life together. That's talking about community and relationship. And we'll spend some time talking about community and relationship too. But so the past two weeks have been, we've talked about expository preaching should be like the main diet of Christian uh, congregations. Uh, we talked about uh, Christ-centered preaching, and then today we're going to talk about law and gospel. I, sh- I say we, I-, I mean me. I'll talk about law and gospel. If you want to talk about the sermon, you're free to come to Bible study, where we'll talk about the sermon a little bit in there, too. And then next week we'll talk about sacraments, and we'll work our way through all the different things that are in here. Acts 2, 42-47, they devoted themselves to the apostles. To, this is the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ephesians 2, 6 through 10 is the epistle reading. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, so I'm going to talk about law and gospel today, which uh, probably 85% of you are checking out, those of you who grew up Lutheran, because blah, 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 law and gospel, blah, 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 right? Um, it's super important, law and gospel is, I want to be careful that I don't misunderstand it. And that's why I want to say what I'm going to say next and get it out there on the record. Because it's, uh, it's not the easiest thing. It's the kind of thing that we as Lutherans, we say all the time, law and gospel. But it's not the easiest thing to actually do and understand when you're reading the Bible or when you're listening to Christian sermons. And I'm not, I'm not going to swear to you that I'm going to do a great job of explaining it or understanding it myself this morning. But what I want to do is I want to throw this out there, and then I will hope that it stirs up thoughts in your mind, and specifically I hope it stirs up conversations that we can have later about this. This is, I told you two weeks ago, that the steady diet of the Christian congregation needs to be sermons that have a specific text that they work through, and that text is explained in the sermon. All right. 
What I'm going to do this morning is not preach like that. I'm going to preach the second type of sermon that I talked to you, the topical sermon, which takes a theme like law and gospel and then looks at a bunch of different texts to try and highlight it. This is not, I, I, I don't want to do this normally. It just works out best with this theme to do it that way, okay? So what I want to do is, and this is going to be real, the outline is going to be real basic, is I want to talk about what is the, what is the law, what is God's law, and then what does the law do, and then what is the gospel, and then fourth, what does the gospel do, and then fifth, kind of put it all together to try and understand what, what is law and gospel and why is it important? Why should it matter to us, uh, law and gospel stuff? All right, so first, what is the law? Have you guys ever heard of Plato's Dilemma? Plato, the, the philosopher. Um, if, you, if you Google, do a Google search for Plato's Dilemma, it, it'll have its own Wikipedia page. I'm not sure it's called Plato's Dilemma, but it'll have its, uh, it, it might be called Euthyphro's Dilemma. There's a, um, Plato wrote a book, he wrote a lot of books, but one of the books he wrote was a book called uh, um, Dialogue with Euthyphro. And in it, he discusses his great dilemma, which actually ends up, ends up being, uh, sorry, I looked over and saw Will's hair, and it shocked me. I apologize. I didn't see him walk in. But there it is. It, it threw me off my game for a second. Good to see you, Will. Uh, uh, sorry, hold on, hold on. Let me reset here. Uh, uh, Euthyphro. So that you don't have to remember anything about Euthyphro. This morning, or what the dilemma is, it's getting me to a point that I want to make that's super important about God's law. Okay, Euthyphro's dilemma works like this: Plato asks. It's actually he's, he puts it in the, the mouths of his teacher, Socrates. Socrates asks Euthyphro about the law, about good deeds and bad deeds. Are bad deeds are bad deeds bad because God says they're bad, or does God not like bad deeds because they're pr- already bad? So bad, I, I said that in a way. It's, it's kind of confusing anyway. But uh, let me put it this way. Stealing. Stealing is wrong. Thou shalt not steal. Everybody agrees with that. Is stealing wrong? Is stealing bad because God doesn't like stealing? Or does God say that stealing's bad because stealing is inherently bad? Do you see the problem here? If stealing is inherently bad and God is like, I've got to tell you that stealing is bad because stealing is inherently bad. Then there's something above God. The law stands behind God and above him. And it's something that God himself has to obey. God tells you that stealing is bad because stealing is intrinsically bad, even outside of God, before God, above God. And God has to obey the law too. And so in the Ten Commandments, he tells you that stealing is bad. Or does God say that stealing is bad and it's sort of arbitrary. Like, God's actually above the law. And the first one, the law is kind of above God, and God has to kind of go along with the law, too. The second one, God is above the law, and God says, stealing is bad because he doesn't like stealing. The dilemma is, in the first case, there's something bigger than God. There's something above and beyond God, a moral universe that God himself has to obey. In the second, in the second case, the moral universe is below God. And it's arbitrary. Like God's, God's, you know, God's getting ready to tell Moses about the Ten Commandments, and he's like, okay, should I say thou shalt steal, or should I say thou shalt not steal? Which one? Uh, let's go with thou shalt not steal. Like, it's just sort of an arbitrary decision that God made. And this is actually, if you, if you just go and look at the Wikipedia page, if you'd like, this is a long-standing discussion that philosophers today grapple with. Is the more, if God exists, does morality exist above him or below him? Now, all that, you can totally forget that, except I want to highlight 
what the Christian response to that is, or the Bible, what the Bible's response to that is, is something different altogether. And it goes like this in Romans chapter 7. Let me read this to you. Romans 7, 12. Paul says the law is holy and the commandment, talking about the laws, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Now, in the Bible, who or what is holy? Only God, right? Who or what is righteous? Only God. There's none righteous. There's nobody righteous. Who, who or what is good? So Jesus says to the, uh, the, to the guy who questions him, don't, don't call me good. There's nobody good but God. The only thing that's holy, righteous, and good in the Bible is God himself. But now Paul says that the law is holy and righteous and good too. It's not that the law is above God or that the law is below God. The law is actually, now listen, this is really important, so what I want you to know from this whole discussion. You can forget everything I've said prior to this. But remember this, the law is an expression of God's character. God doesn't have to obey the law like me and you. Neither is the law arbitrary, like God just makes up random rules to see if we'll obey them. The law is actually an expression of who he is. The law flows right out of his heart, right out of his care. You know, God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's not a random rule. It's actually because God himself is capital F faithfulness. God himself never cheats on anybody. That's how he wants us to be. He doesn't want you to steal. He doesn't want you to lie. He doesn't want you to commit adultery because he himself is completely faithful. And he wants us to look like him. Be holy like I'm holy. And so that's what the law is doing. It's showing us who God is. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. That's, let me say, that's what the law is. It's a reflection of God's character. Now let's talk about what, what the law is doing. And there's two things here that the law does. And the first is that it shows us that we're sinful, right? Because if it is a reflection of God's character, if it does say that should not steal, and I know that I'm a thief, if it does say that, you know, that you don't lie, and I know that I'm a liar, if it does say don't, don't kill, and I know that I murder people in my heart, what it's doing is exp- it's exposing me as a sinner. Romans 7, to go back to Romans 7, Paul says, I would not have known what sin was except for the law. In in other words, the law shows us that we can't fix ourselves. Now, I know that you all are like, okay, yeah, this is like Lutheranism 101, right? The law shows us our need for a savior. Just hang with me, okay? There's other stuff here. There's other layers to this. That's the first thing the law does, is it shows us that we're sinful. But the second thing that the law does is it actually gives us direction. If the law is actually a reflection of God's character and God wants us to look like him, then the law gives us directions for how to live. The law gives us directions for how to look like God. Psalm 119 highlights this over and over, and we read one of these texts last week. Uh, but l- let me quote a couple more from Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure by taking heed according to your word? How do you know what to do? How do you know how to live a good life? The Bible tells you. The law doesn't merely tell you that you're unable to, keep, to live a good life. It does that for sure. But it also tells you how to live a good life. Your word I have hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. It's not just your word I have hidden my heart so that I, when I sin, I know that I need Jesus. But it's also, that's true, but it's your word I've hidden my heart so that I will not sin. Right? The law does these two things. First of all, it shows us that we need Jesus. And then second of all, for those of you who know Jesus, it shows you how to live your life. It shows you what to do. This might be a little bit uncomfortable for some of you who are used to be, who are used to, I mean, a lot of us are used to hearing, no, 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 no. Don't, the law is not a direction for you. It's merely to point you to Jesus. You cannot, you cannot do good works to save yourself. I ho- hopefully those of you who are Christians, we're all going to agree with this, that you cannot do good works to save yourself. But that does not mean that you should not do good works. And when you do need to do good works, which is all the time, the law is there to give you guidance and direction. Okay, that's what the law is doing. 
It's a reflection of God's character. When you, as a sinner, come in contact with that, it reveals to you that you don't match up to that. But it also points you in a certain direction. Like, stop stealing. God is a faithful God. And so if you want to be like him, you need to stop stealing. That's the law. Now let's talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? Baseline gospel. This is what the gospel is in the New Testament. The gospel is not God's plan for for getting you to heaven when you die. The gospel is not God's plan for how you can feel less guilt in your life. The gospel is the, it's both the announcement and the reality that God rules and reigns over all things right here and right now. That's what the gospel is. Now, as far as it relates to you and me, there's two things that the gospel does. Can you keep this straight in your head? There's two things that the law does. And for the purposes of this sermon, there's two things that the gospel does, which corresponds to those two things that the law does. And the first thing that the gospel does is it forgives our sin. Mark 2, Jesus is healing this paralyzed guy, right? And his friends bring him to Jesus. And in Je- instead of Jesus saying to the paralyzed guy, get up and walk, I'm healing your legs. He says to the guy, I forgive your sins. Because Jesus could say, like he goes on to tell the, 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 the Pharisees who were there, I could tell the guy, get up and walk and you're healed. Or I could say to the guy, I forgive your sins. It's all the same thing. I have the power to forgive sins, so I'm going to tell this guy that I forgive his sins. All the things that you do wrong, God forgives. He legally announces you as not guilty. Again, don't check out on me. I know this is Lutheranism one-on-one. Don't, don't, don't check out on me. We're all guilty of stuff. God says he makes this pronouncement. He, he, he looks, uh, he doesn't look past our sins. He covers those sins up with the blood of Jesus and then announces us legally not guilty. But the second thing that the gospel does, that is not the only thing that the gospel does. The second thing that the gospel does is it gives you power to obey the law. It empowers you to obey God's will. Perfectly? No, not yet. But slowly but surely, it's working in that direction. Slowly but surely, God's word is taking the gospel and molding and shaping those of you who are studying God's word, those of you who are praying, those of you who are coming to church and listening to Christian sermon, those of you who are committed to a life of Jesus. It's slowly molding and shaping you to look more and more like Jesus. This is the second thing that the gospel does. Romans 6, Paul says this, and he's answering the question for those, and Paul's talking to Lutherans here because this is what we're good at, right? And I'll talk talk more about this in a second. We Lutherans are really, really good at one of these things and not so good at another one of these things. Paul in Romans 6 is talking to Lutherans. And he's saying, okay, so you guys think that since Jesus forgives all your sins, you can just do whatever you want, right? Because then all you got to do is ask for forgiveness. And then all your sins are forgiven and it's good to go. But how can you who are dead to sin, those of you who have been baptized into Christ, how can you continue to live in sin? The gospel doesn't work like that. Once the gospel gets a hold of you, it does not permit, it does forgive your sins. It says that everything, it knows what you're going to do tomorrow. It knows the gross sin that you're going to commit 10 years from now in the blood of Jesus Christ It tells you has already covered that sin and you can no longer be condemned for it. The sins that you're going to commit in the future are, are not even on your account. But if you really get that, the Holy Spirit has bound you to Jesus in a really genuine way. How can you continue to embrace sin just because I know I'm forgiven, I can do what I want. In other words, the gospel is working, worming its way down into your life, fixing the sin problem. Not just the problem of the legal condemnation of sin, but the problem that I continue to sin over and over. 
Right? Here's another text, Colossians 3.1. Let me read a chunk of this to you. Paul says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Again, when Paul talks about the, when Paul talks about the, uh, the gospel fixing up our lives, actually fixing our day-to-day lives, Paul usually will go to baptism. In Romans 6, in Romans 6, he's like, you guys have been baptized. How can you continue living in sin? Colossians 3, same thing. Since then you have been raised with Christ in baptism. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, since you have been raised, since you have participated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in baptism, stop screwing around with all the earthly things of this world. Set your mind on things above. You should be acting a different way if you have experienced the gospel. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. And he goes on. And when Paul says here, when Paul says, hey guys, you need to clean up your lives. Those sins that you were committing, I don't know if you think that you're good to go just because you pray a prayer and say, hey, Jesus, forgive me of these sins. And so it doesn't matter. I can do what I want. But I'm telling you, since you have been raised with Christ. See what Paul does? Paul doesn't just say, hey, be good boys and girls. Paul says, I want you to be good boys and girls, but it flows right out of the gospel. You've been united with Jesus Christ, and so obey the law. Paul never asked you to obey the law because you should obey the law, and it's a good thing to do, and you should just get out there and do it. Paul asked me and you to obey the law because it's who you are as gospel people. Because that's the second thing the gospel does. is It comes into your life and empowers you to do what's right. Now let's put all those things together. Let's put law and gospel together. Law and gospel, law does two things, right? Law always convicts us of sin. Law always gives us direction for how to live. The gospel always does two things. The gospel always forgives our sins, and the gospel always empowers us for righteous living. See how these first two go together? The law convicts us of sin, but the gospel forgives that sin. On the other hand, the law... Now, see, we Lutherans are good at the first one. We're really, really good at the first one. But we're not very good at the second one. And if you ask me, if you're going to make an error, you should err. Now, I, I hate, you know, I hate to be like, you know, good for us, bully for us. But if you make an error, I think that the Lutheran error is actually the better one to make. Uh, the churches that I grew up in erred on the second side. Like the Christian, like, you know, Jesus forgives your sin, but now you need to do good works. Now you need to get busy serving God. That's a worse error, I think. I think it's better to err on the side of, I've been forgiven. I mean, don't do this. Error, it's, it's stupid of me to stand up here and say, to, to recommend a particular error, right? I mean, that's not the, exactly the Christian thing to do. But if you're going to commit an error, err on the side of grace. Err on the side of God forgives all of our sins, and that's what the gospel means. But it does not take away the fact that the gospel empowers us. The, the law gives us direction, and the gospel empowers us to follow that direction. Those two things are true. And they should be in any Christian sermon. And now let me get really practical now. That's just kind of like theological background. And now let me talk about Christian sermons and talk about the way that you guys should read your Bibles, the way that we should be reading our Bibles. How does law and gospel work? If, if law is doing those two things and gospel is always doing those two things, how does law and gospel work? Now here's the, the error that we get into, those of us who are Lutherans. We just assume that law and gospel means the first set of things, right? Conviction, forgiveness. And so for a lot of us, we see law and gospel as two stages of our life. There was a point in time in my life when I was a law person. I was trying to like make God happy with me by doing good works. And then I realized I can never do that. 
And so I need God's forgiveness. And now I'm a gospel person. And what that means in our lives, we usually think, I often think I should say, I should talk about myself, is, so I don't need the law. I've been forgiven. I have the gospel. I've moved on from the law life. And now I'm a gospel person. And in that framework, the law is bad. It should be shunned and gotten away from and just the gospel embraced. But if you know the second part of law and gospel, that the law gives direction and the gospel empowers you to follow that direction, you can never get away from the law because the law is good. And if you understand that, then all of a sudden, the psalm that we read last week where David says, God, I love your law so much. I just want to think about it all the time. Like, God, if I have a choice between eating honey, which is the sweetest thing David knows, or thinking about your law, I'm going to think about your law. It's better than sweet food. What does that mean? Well, if you get the second part, you know what it means. The law is our window into God's character. It's how God shows himself to us. And the gospel is how God takes that law and enables us to look more and more like God, slowly but surely, but more and more like God all the time. Now, how is this going to work in your daily life? It's going to look different for all of you. Law and gospel are going to, you're going to experience these things in different ways. Let me say it this way. Are there texts in the Bible that are just purely law? Yes, but they're few and far between. You know, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's law. Are there texts that are just purely gospel? John 3.16, for instance, you know. But most of them are somewhere in the middle, and you will experience them differently based upon where you're at. All right, I'm just trying to think of a good example here. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this story. Is um, uh, Philippians three? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that law or is that gospel? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, probably most of us through most of our lives would think of that as gospel, right? I mean, Christ is strengthening us to suffer for Him, to not suffer for Him, to be poor for Him, to be rich for Him. It's Christ who's doing this through us. That's gospel, right? But let me tell you a story. Uh, when I was when I had abandoned completely abandoned Christianity, I'd fallen away from the faith. I was rejecting Christ. This is an important, this is, uh, I, have, I should write these down sometime. There's a list of maybe 30 things that happened over the course of those three years when I was running from God, where God was saying, you can't do it. I'm right here. One of those things was, uh, I was with Harry. And Harry and I, Harry is probably uh, three years old, and we were waiting on a train platform and we were catching a train somewhere, and I can't remember. And he's three years old, and I'm standing there with him. And I hear him singing. And he's singing this Steve Green song, um, which is from Philippians 4. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And do you think that was an encouragement to me? It actually crushed me. Just crushed me. I'm running from God, and all of a sudden, I'm hearing this little three-year-old, who I love more than anything, Singing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Not encouraging at all. It made me this mixture of angry, angry at myself, angry at God for pestering me. Just this horrible feeling that I was letting Harry down. That he was actually becoming a better human being than me. And I was a grown man and he was a three-year-old. It crushed me. If you had told me in the depths of my rebellion against God, if you had told me Jesus loves you, I would not have experienced that as gospel. I would have experienced that as law. It would have felt like a massive weight on my head. 
because that's where I was in life. And that's the way law and gospel works. Sometimes the Bible is going to crush you and sometimes it's going to elate you. Sometimes God's word is going to smash you under its heel. It's going to grind you down like flour. And then sometimes it's going to just build you up. It's going to make you feel like you're the strongest person in the world. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. And he's doing these things simultaneously. He's telling you that you're not good enough. And then telling you, you have more worth than you even know what to do with because God loves you in Jesus Christ. It's doing these things all the time. In a Christian sermon, your experience of studying the Bible should be doing these things to you all the time. Right? I mean, so it goes like this. Let me, let me say it to you this way. Uh, instead of law and gospel, it's the only way we can say it really, it should be law, gospel, law, gospel, law, gospel, law, gospel. Because the law comes to you and says, Aaron, you aren't good enough. You are not meeting the standard that needs to be met. But then the gospel comes along and says, but you know what? It's okay because you're completely accepted in Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, he does not see anything wrong about you. He sees none of your shame, none of your sin, none of your brokenness. He only sees his son, Jesus, and you're good to go forever and ever. And now what this means is, is that you are free and you are liberated to do right, to live the gospel life. And so I'm like, yes, this is awesome. I am God's child. And he doesn't care who I am or what I do. He just accepts me for who I am, and now I'm going to love him with all my heart. And so I go out, and I start doing all kinds of good works. But then I notice myself in the mirror, and I'm like, you know what? Those good works aren't that good. They're full of pride, and they're not consistent. You do some good things sometimes, but then you fall back the next day. And then I'm like, dang it, I can't meet the standard. And that's when that first use of the law comes in again and says, but you know what? Go, you're not good enough. Go to Christ. And that's when the first use of the gospel comes back in and says, you're good to go. He forgives you for for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. And it empowers you once more to go out. But then when you start going out again and doing the good works and being a Christian, you realize once again, I'm actually not good enough to do this. And so you're continually cycling between law and gospel. It's inappropriate to say law and gospel. It's very appropriate to say, although this is wordy and I'm not suggesting you do this and I'm not going to do it again because it's just too too much. Law, gospel, law, gospel, law, gospel. Because that's the Christian life. It's this constant spiral of struggling with your brokenness, being accepted by Christ, and being, being empowered to do what Christ wants to do. And it's only the Holy Spirit who can do this in your life. All right? So let's pray right now and ask him to do that, okay? Close your eyes with me. Father, we pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit, using your word, to know what our sins are, to be broken because of our own shame and sinfulness. Convince us one more time, Father, that you love us and that you accept us in spite of our sin and our shame, because your son has covered up that sin and shame with his own blood. Empower us to obey your word. Empower us to love each other and to be good Christians. And when we can inevitably not do that because we're not good enough, drive us once again by your law back to the cross of Jesus Christ, where we can once again receive forgiveness and fresh empowerment to follow you. And we'll give you the praise for this, because it's only you who can do this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.